Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Trishtika from Fix Your Crown Podcast. I am really excited about my guest here with me this afternoon. We have Dr. Wood. Dr. Wood is from Philadelphia. Dr. Wood, tell the audience more about you. So uh, my name is Hyacinth Wood. I'm originally from Trinidad. Uh, via Washington, D.C., and ended up in Philadelphia because my husband was born and raised in West Philly. Uh, that song really does resonate a little bit with him. Um, <laughs> and he decided, you know, he had the choice to go to medical school anywhere in the country, and he wanted to come home. Uh, as his parents were aging, we decided, you know what, we need to come here because in our community, we take care of our elderly. And so we, I moved to Philadelphia did not think it was going to be 23 years. It's officially almost 24 years in September that I've been living in Philadelphia. So this is the place I've lived in the longest. Um, I am currently a teacher, soon to become an assistant principal. And uh, I'm also a college professor. I, I teach in urban settings, mainly because I want to balance that playing field for our daytime students as well as for our, my nighttime students that I teach. And I love everything de dealing with people of color. It's time we, we stand on our own two feet and on each other's shoulders because we're there for each other and build our community. So I'm here to help, I'm here to listen, I'm here to learn and I'm here to share. <laughs> I'm really excited about, um, I've met Dr. Wood about, I think it's going on three weeks now. And it's like, we've been knowing each other for years. We just connected, right. started talking and laughing. But Dr. Wood, um, I like to share with everybody with what we're doing with this podcast. With the podcast, we are highlighting women who are not only working in the community with mental health, but also um, speaking about mental health in their household, in their school. And Dr. Wood, her uh, topic with us today is healing in the household. And this topic is really um, close to Dr. Wood. Um, she not only teaches, but gives the resources to her students about mental health. Um, Dr. Wood, I know um, from our past conversation, you were talking about your daughter. Um, and, you know, we're doing healing in the household. Now, how does that topic, um, why is that close to your heart or your household? So my mini-me looks like me, acts like me, and swears like me sometimes. <laughs> my mini-me, uh, is what I call her. Um, she's all, she's always had, um, significant issues with mental issues, mental health. Um, from the time she was very little, uh, she suffered from anxiety. And I, I think I shared with you that, you know, I, I couldn't be gone from her for more than two minutes before she was looking for me, calling for me. And she's 21 now and she still looks for me and calls for me. Uh, if, if she doesn't, you know, she doesn't know where I am or if she doesn't know how long I'm going to be, um, she'll call. And, she, and sometimes I, I would have made it to the car. And that's a little extreme at times. Usually it's because she's asleep and then got up and found I wasn't there. And she would call to see where I was, where was I going, how long was I going to be? And then, you know, tracking me backwards. Um, mm -hmm. Apart from that, as she grew... Uh, we realized that she was beginning to suffer from depression. Uh, the, one of the schools that she went to, she was severely, severely bullied mm -hmm. um, 
to the point of hospitalization. And I will never forget the day I got that phone call. Um, the CEO of my school, uh, when I got the phone call and I ran down the stairs and I, I was getting ready to get in the car, she was like, where are you going? And I said, I couldn't school call. And I told her why. She was like, hold up. And she went back into her office and she came out with her purse. She's like, let's go. And I'm like, let's go where? <laughs> She's like, oh no, we're going to the school to get pudding. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting in the car and driving. And I picked up my phone and I'm like, and she was sitting there and she was just very calmly on her phone. And she reached over and she took the phone out of my hand. I didn't say a word and she just put it down. And she went back to her own phone. And I pulled up at the school mm -hmm. and she got out the car and she was like, she went into the maze office and she said, where's Puddin? Mm -hmm. And they brought my, my baby to me and she had cut herself all the way up her arms. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget, she took Puddin by the arm and she said, she said, Puddin, who hurt you? She said, for you to do this to yourself, someone hurt you. Mm -hmm. And the principal started to talk and she was like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to her. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there and just silently cried. Um, and my baby was in somebody else's arms because I could not, I could not, I could not believe the amount of blood. I could not believe that my child would do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, they told me I had to hospitalize her willingly or the state was going to take my child. Mm. And I called my husband and he said, absolutely not. We're not hospitalizing her. And I said, I can't let the state take my child. And I drove her to that hospital. And I think I was there until about two o'clock in the morning in the waiting room with her and um one of my colleagues met me there she's a um social worker and she stayed and she's like we're gonna stay right here mm -hmm. and she's like let me explain to you what's happening and why it's happening and so they kept my child for at first 72 hours for the wait um and I could only see her an hour a day. Mm -hmm. And then they said that she had to be in inpatient a little bit longer. She was there about a week. And then they allowed her to come home, but she had to do outpatient there. And I drove her every day to that place. And when I finally spoke to her about what happened, and she, she told me, I don't think I've ever been so angry in my life. Um, because when my child said to me, I'm working on a project and it was the students led. Mm -hmm. And she said, when it was our turn to present, my teammates put my chair in the closet wow. and told me that that's where I belong. And I'm like, what? And she said, because I would not demonize one of the other young ladies who came out, I wouldn't join them in demonizing her. Mm -hmm. They said that I had to be one too. 
Wow. And so they put her in the closet. And I said, where was your teacher? And she said, she named her and she said she came and she took the chair out the closet and told her, told the classmates that that's not okay. But she put my child to face the wall. And my child asked to go to the bathroom. And that is when she hurt herself. So the, wow. So the, I'm just speechless because I'm like, I've been in the, in that position as a teacher and then bullying and was that the first time she was being bullied or this was, it was just not the first time? Um, my daughter, um, I'm East Indian. My husband is multiracial and my daughter has green eyes and mm -hmm. she has long hair and straight like mine. And she, and she went to a predominantly white school and she said, you know, um, the guys would come up and pour water on her to see if her hair curled. Mm. Um, you know, my oldest, she's very, very light. She's about maybe three or four shades lighter than me. And um, they will put stuff on her face to make her either look darker or lighter, depending on which group she was with. Mm -hmm. um, they started pressing her hair. And I'm like, what? Um, and, you know, they pull chairs out from under them when they're walking when they're going ready to sit in class and things like that. So it, it had been going on for a little bit, but she hadn't told me. Um, oh, I know. The, the, the other big one was around Christmas, winter break, they were doing um, a sing-along. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, she, my girls danced and all of my children sing. And so they had worked on the choreography and all of that. And they were going to sing. And, they, and when Devin came back, she was out for like a day. And she came back. And they changed the song to All I Want for Christmas is a Jew. Oh, no. And my daughter said, I'm not singing that. And you're not using my choreography. And the dean of the school called me and my mother-in-law to pick her up and told us that she needed to start her winter break earlier than others because she needed some more time to acclimate to being in this environment. And I was like, huh. So that was the first time. And then the second time was the classroom incident. Um, the principal at the time, I didn't know how much he was actually looking out for her. Mm -hmm. I was so upset with him and um, because I was like, you're not doing enough to protect my child. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, um, I think she should not return to the school next year. So they uninvited my child to come back to a tuition paying school. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize until the end of the year, he was also leaving and he did not trust the school to take care of her. So he pushed her out so that he could protect her outside of the school. That's amazing. That's and amazing. Like, I wish I could find him now because he really did leave. Um, I wish I could find him now to thank him. Mm -hmm. um, because while that was very, very hurtful to her, she learned to appreciate it. Right. Because um, during that time, you, during that time, you know, 
you think, wow, he's being mean, but no, he actually was looking out. He didn't want, he knew that he wasn't there. Mm -mm. And that was seventh grade. So eighth grade, if you can only imagine was going to be even more because she was going to be getting ready to transition to high school mm-hmm. and all of that. And she was like, no. And she was so stigmatized mm-hmm. because she was so welcoming to everyone. She didn't care if you were gay. She didn't care if you were in an interracial relationship. She didn't care. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, we taught our children. We used to call them the United Colors of Benetton because mm-hmm. we have everything except Eskimo in us. <laughs> and so, you know, we taught them to love and appreciate all of it mm-hmm. and to never put one above the other. And so, you know, she thought she was doing the right thing by being human and by being a good human. Um, but it didn't have a place there. It didn't have a place there. D- during this time, did you ever or have asked questions of how did she learn the technique of cutting herself or where did she learn that from? Um, It turns out she wasn't the only one. There was quite a number of them at the school that were being bullied and there was a whole community. And she said, and I was like, well, that's not the community I really wanted you to join. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's like, mom, they did so many different things. She said, kids did drugs, kids hurt themselves, kids drank, kids, she's like, she didn't, she didn't do any of those other things because in her head, hurting herself didn't hurt anybody else. Wow. And so what they were doing had the potential to hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I couldn't get there. She said, but hurting myself, the only person that got hurt was me. And it helped, as she would say, it would help her to understand sometimes that she does feel. And I didn't, I didn't know that about cutting. And mm-hmm. I did a lot, a lot, a lot about reading about cutting. And the thing about cutting is that they inflict pain on themselves mm-hmm. so that they can feel. Because they've been told for so long that what they're feeling doesn't count. And so if that doesn't count, how do I make sure that I can that I can feel. And so they inflict pain on themselves. Yes. And um, it was, it was, it's difficult. I mean, my daughter was a teenager and I'm having to do full body checks. What teenager wants to go through that? Right. And, you know, and it was periodic and it was, you know, impromptu. And I, I walk into her room and I'm like, drop it. And she knew exactly what it meant. And she would, she would take off all of her clothes and I would have to examine her. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty sometimes prudish about my own body, mm-hmm. but looking at my kids, oh no, we're not going to be prudish about that one bit. Right. And, you know, and every time I saw something new, she had to explain to me when, why, mm-hmm. how, and what was the context of it. Right. Um, and, you know, it only took a few times before she realized, I don't want this anymore. So Uh, after those two incidents, she continued to cut? She did. She Mm -hmm. continued to cut for about another year. Mm -hmm. And we transferred her to a different school. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we transferred her to a school that dealt with specifically students with different um, issues, whether it is academic or whether it's behavior or whether it's social emotional. Mm-hmm. We transferred her to a different a school that allowed for that. Um, and she was there eight, nine, and 10. Mm-hmm. And she was hospitalized. I think she was hospitalized. She was hospitalized a total of two times. Mm-hmm. The first one was in Ambler and the second time was in Philadelphia. And we knew we couldn't hospitalize her anymore. Right. Because after the second time, when she was hospitalized the second time, after about three days, she was running the program at the hospital. And we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. We would come in and we would like, no, I'm sorry. She was hospitalized after that. She was hospitalized in college. Uh Um, We would come in because you're only allowed to see them for one hour a day. Mm. And usually it was dinner hour. So we would bring something for her to eat that she wanted and we would sit and have dinner and we would talk about Mm -hmm. her therapy there, her process. And she was running it. She was running the groups. She was organizing the groups. She was organizing the art therapy and the Mm -hmm. music therapy. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is not vacation. This is about your healing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love people. But right now, my love for you is to get you healthy. I can't be bothered with them right now. I'm sorry. Right. They have parents. And more importantly, they have doctors there mm-hmm. to treat them. You're not it. <laughs> and so, but that's why she decided to become a psychology major. Right. What did the healing process look like for your daughter during these years? Because in the beginning, it looks very, very scary, very dark. But during these years, you know, this topic of healing in the household, what did it look like? And how did it feel for you and your husband? So Devin Putin was very close, much closer to me than she was to her dad. And we soon learned that her issue was her dad. Um, She was craving the attention of her dad. And my husband, who's a phenomenal person, He's not very emotional. I wear my heart on my sleeves. You're going to know I love you to life because you're going to be sick of me. Let's hear me say my son tells me at this point, stop telling me that. He's like, I know you're telling me. I'm like, I'm going to make sure you know every day. Um, and she, so she's a lot like him in that she's artistic. She's left-handed. They're musical. Um, but she's not close to him. And she wants to be close to him. And so it used to be part of the therapy was every Wednesday was a date with her and me. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would be gone for like a couple hours. I would pick her up from school. Usually it involved ice cream. And the sad thing is we're both lactose intolerant, but we (laughs) we went went anyway. (laughs) And we had ice cream and we sat and we talked. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I have a very strict rule in my house. I don't care what you do outside my house. I don't care what you do with anybody in my house, but I am the one person you never lie to mm-hmm. ever because I'm the first one that comes when you call. I'm the last one that holds your hand. If mm-hmm. I don't know the truth, who's going to know the truth. Right. And so 
that was our time to sit and talk because we had dinner with the kids every night. But Wednesday, Wednesday was just for her. And as she got older, it, become, it became more and more difficult mm-hmm. because not only was she getting older, she was dealing with puberty issues and, you know, that and the, um, them wanting to medicate her and her dad was like, no, no medication at all. Mm-hmm. And so then that became a struggle. And so it made it difficult in our household for me and my husband to interact with each other or to parent. But um, for her, my first and last thought was always how to help her, mm-hmm. how to help her make the right decisions, how to help her understand what's happening. And we always believe in education and being 100% honest with our children. Right. You know, they didn't believe a stalk brought anybody. They were told <laughs> about the real way. And that's what we did. And we gave her the information. Mm-hmm. And we gave her the tools. So it meant therapy. Right. So she was, at, she was in therapy. At some points, she was in therapy two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And then she got down to about once a week. And we made sure everything moved around therapy we did not move therapy around anything else so as a parent the parents who are listening to this podcast right why and they think no i'm going to give my child medication i don't think therapy is working what 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 advice would you give parents who are listening right now who would rather give their parent rather give their child medication than give them therapy so I would say, first of all, have a really good relationship with that psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, her psychiatrist and I did not get along one bit. He believed that he was the doctor and that I wouldn't know any better. And so he was changing her medication like every three weeks. And at one point I said to him, I'm like, understand something really well. My background is science. I may not know that medication, but I understand how to measure its work. Mm -hmm. And you cannot determine whether or not medication works in that short space of time. Mm -hmm. You have to use it for an extended period of time and then up the dosage if you need to, give it some more time to work and then up it if you need to. But he was changing it like every three weeks. And so she never had time to adjust to anything Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to hear it from me. Mm-hmm. And he would say to me all the time, because I wouldn't let her go into the session with him without me. Mm-hmm. And he would say, she doesn't have to talk to you. And I said, I understand that. Um, because at age 14, they no longer need their parent. Parents don't have to give consent. I said, but please understand, I'm the one paying the bill. Mm-hmm. So if, if you don't want me in the room, clearly you don't want me to be paying you. Right. Because I can sit in this corner and be quiet and listen to you, but you're not gonna lock me out of my own child's treatment. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the way he spoke to her. And you know, and I had to tell him afterwards, after she left the room, I met with him and his director, and I said, let me help you all with something real quick. You all are used to, and he was a child psychiatrist, which is why mm-hmm. we used him. I said, you all are used to making decisions and having parents say, okay, I said, I'm not that parent. Mm -hmm. I am very much involved in my child's life, which is why I'm here, which is why I pay these ridiculous bills every single time. 
not because I want you to fix my child and be done with it, but I want my child healed so that she doesn't have to be dependent on this medication forever. And at one point he was trying to have her on like four different medications and they were all countering each other. And I'm like, I need you to research what you're doing before you give it to my child, because I'm researching what you're doing. Mm. And I'm telling you now, those medications don't work well. And, and I like I like what you're saying to be really hands-on because yeah. a lot of parents would say, yes, I'm going to get therapy and I'm going to give them, you know, I they, they're not educated. A lot of our communities are not very well educated. So a parent who's listening to this interview is getting not only a tool, but they're also listening to a parent that cares. Right. And the one thing that I liked what you said is like, no, 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 no. I know I came to you for help, but I need to understand what you're doing with my daughter. Right. And I think that make web MD your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> best friend. Look up every single medication on WebMD. It'll right. tell you. I like that because healing, like I, you know, this topic with you is healing in the household. When did you know, or when did you, when did you see the change in your daughters? Um, the good change or the bad change? The good change. The good change was actually uh, when we took her out of the second school and mm -hmm. we brought her to my school. Uh, I have long since believed that my children should never go to the same school that I work in because mm -hmm. I needed them to have their own identity. Mm -hmm. They, you know, at my school, I am daytime mom there. Mm -hmm. And so I needed them to understand the differences between what was happening there and what was happening home. So I never allowed them to be in the same school that I was in. Mm -hmm. But I've been in this school for several years at this point, And, you know, the school became family. Mm -hmm. And finally, my principal sat me down and um, one of my other colleagues that I've gotten to be very, very close to his family, him and his family. I mean, his kids call me mom. And my kids call, you know, my kids call them auntie and uncle. Mm -hmm. And they finally said to me, it's time for you to bring her here. And I teach at an African-centered school. And they said, enough is enough. She'd been in, a, in those other kinds of schools where they did not appreciate who she was and they didn't uplift who she is. Mm. So bring her here and let us give her some of herself in this building. Say that one more time so a parent can hear that. Why did you switch her over? I switched her over because she needed to know who she was. We say who you are and whose you are, mm -hmm. right? She needed to know, yes, we tell you to uplift all of your culture. But right at that moment, she needed to know that she was a kid of color and there was a group of people who looked like her that wanted what was best for her mm -hmm. and wanted to uplift that in her. Because in her other schools, they tried to say it didn't matter, but clearly it did when you're pouring water on my child's hair to see if it will curl. Mm -hmm. And so she needed to be in a school where the people looked like her. And that was not a battle that she had to fight. Mm -hmm. She was fighting enough battles with her depression and her anxiety. She didn't have to fight colorism mm -hmm. also by being in this school. And so she came and within a year, you know, she was just blossoming. And, you know, I will never forget the day she called me. She was in tears and she was like, 
you know, the dean called me. He's like, little Miss Wood is downstairs and there's no cursing at my school. And uh -huh. she had gone on a cursing streak. And the dean called me downstairs. He's like, come on, come down the stairs. I'm like, uh -huh. I'm like, when I'm at work, I'm not mommy. You better call her Uncle Mark. <laughs> call her Aunt Jay. Her Aunt Jay is the principal. Mm, you better call somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, so that he was like, all right. And so he called Aunt Jay, who happened to be the principal. Mm -hmm. And she took her in her office. And she let her cry. And, you know, say all the dirty words that she needed to say. And then 10 minutes later, she looked a square in her face because that's what she's used to at her other school, right? She mm -hmm. would go into the office and they would cry and they would hold her and they would let moment that happened she realized that 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 she had been used to is no longer tolerated mm -hmm. and that was the message you know other people could do that in those environments because they're paying for stuff growing up here mm -hmm. we're about educating you and helping you heal and helping you understand when it's time to say enough i'm, mm -hmm. I'm done wallowing in this let me get up and go to class. And so that was the last phone call I got to come down the stairs. I'm going to pause this. All right. So um, we were talking about uh, picking up your daughter and then they the called you down point. to the office. <laughs> that was her turning point. Mm -hmm. but she realized that she could no longer sit and wallow in her whatever's and that no one was going to allow that to happen in this environment because they're preparing her for the world. Mm -hmm. She had to go back to class. It was like, dang it. <laughs> and that was it. That was my last phone call to wow. come down as ever. So for, for a parent that's listening to this podcast and hearing your testimony, um, what are did you have all the resources in the beginning or did you have to research resources for your daughter? So I, you know what? I was provided a lot because her pediatrician was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we had really, really good relationships with her pediatrician. And, you know, she was the first one that said, hi, said, mm -mm, we can't do this on our own anymore. Mm -hmm. We need to get her some help. Um, and then... At that time, not like now, I actually turned to the church. And the only reason I turned to the church was because I knew that my priest had had the same exact experience with his son, mm -hmm. who was also cutting and doing other things. And so I went to him not as a parishioner to priest, but as a parent to parent. Mm -hmm. And he was able to provide me with other resources. And because of my background, I, re I, I learned to research. I researched every single thing. Mm -hmm. My husband really believes that exercise and diet cures everything. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, we know exercise is good for depression. Right. So also, no diet plays a role in a lot of things. But yeah, no, that wasn't going to be it. And mm -hmm. so I needed to know what else. What else can I do? What else can I put in place? What else 
can I surround her with mm-hmm. that would help build her self-esteem? Build, and if you, if you see my daughter, my daughter is gorgeous. And I'm not saying that because I'm her parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, my daughter was a model, that kind of gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter was offered the ability to um, do a sitcom in, in Hawaii. And we were like, we're not moving to, to Hawaii. We're <laughs> Philadelphia. Um, gorgeous and talented. Mm-hmm. But she never saw it. And she still to this day doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I said, you know what? I have to put things in place for her. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to think about it in terms of at some point I may not be here, but I had to think about, I have to make sure she has everything she needs mm-hmm. to make the right decision because depression by itself is hard. Depression on top of puberty is hard Depression with puberty and peer pressure it's almost impossible. And mm-hmm. I needed to know that when I am not with her, because I don't track her the way she tracks me. <laughs> Although I still do really do track her. Uh-huh. Um, I needed to know that she was going to make the right decision. And she knows no matter what problem she gets herself into or what trouble she gets herself to, or when she makes a wrong decision, mm-hmm. All she has to do is call me and I'm going to come. I'm going to be in the car before she can finish the sentence. And, you know, and I'm going to come and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about what kind of decision we could have made differently and how we can fix it because we believe in restoration. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that African community. African centeredness is always restoring what you have broken. Right. Because when you break something, you're breaking a trust in somebody somewhere. <laughs> yes. if, you want, if you want to gain that relationship back, you have to restore it. Dr. Wood, the one thing that I really like is that you are hands-on with your daughter in the healing in the household is how, you know, healing in the household, you have to be hands-on. How are you hands-on at your school? Do you um, have something at your school that also help you know your uh, students with mental health do you have anything implemented implemented in your school so we have wellness wednesdays and we have a sister Mimi, who every single wednesday comes and talks to us about mental wellness mm-hmm. and considering how everything is shifting right now right we, we make sure that our students are up to date so like we're talking about what's happening with uh, naomi osaka and why that is important for them for, for them to understand that it is, it is no longer okay to say, oh, black people have dealt with slavery so they can deal with anything. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you just need to tough it out and work through it. Or that's a white people thing. No, that's no longer the conversation that we're having. I am very honest about, about Putin. And Putin was very honest about her reality at the school. And so she's given me permission to say, listen, if this is happening, I need you to come talk to me. I've had quite a number of young ladies whom, you know, someone has said, I saw in the bathroom and I saw her arm, mama, you need to go talk to her. 
because they saw the cuts and then mm -hmm. I'll come and have a conversation with you. I've had many parents that I will call them and say, listen, we need to chat parent to parent because you trust me with your child every single day. I'm daytime mom. You're a 24 hour day mom. Let's talk about this. Right. I've, I've given recommendations for psychiatrists, for therapists that are male and people of color and female and people of color. And I'm very clear about that. I don't, I don't have a problem with having someone who is not a person of color, but in this day and age, what our children need is people who look like them. Mm -hmm. And because that's the added piece of lifting them up, lifting their self-esteem up. Because with everything else that's going on in society, someone who is not looking like us with all really good intentions still cannot understand it. Mm -hmm. And they cannot understand it fully. And I don't want to heal our babies halfway or part-time. Mm -hmm. I need them to be healed the whole way. I need them to have those tools. And the only people that can give them those tools are gonna be the people who walk those paths. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna look like us. And so, we do Wellness Wednesdays. I have a true open door policy. Um, I tell them from get go, you know, everything you tell me is confidential until it's about you hurting yourself or hurting someone else. At that point, I have to report that. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to have a child that has said no to me. And so they come in, we talk about it. You know, if I have to pull my sister Mimi in, I pull my sister Mimi in. We do sisterhood things with our daughters. We do brotherhood things. We bring in one of the brothers to if was if it's a if it's a son, um, and we build them up, and then we bring the parents in, and then we have those conversations, and we can tell that it's shifting, because like I told you, I deal with seniors, and they have to do senior exhibition, mm -hmm. and there were so many of our hundred and thirty-two that dealt with the topic of mental health in the African American community. And every single student that presented on mental health started with the fact that they suffered from mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And it was personal to them, which is why they did that project, because they wanted it to be a teachable moment for the next person. And so it's important. It's very important. You know, during the time they were doing their, their you know, teaching and you're learning from them, what was the main trigger for them? Was it at home or the bullying? What, out of all those students, what was the outcome? So quite a number of them talked about um, not having a father in the household. Mm -hmm. um, we had quite a number of them who had a parent that was incarcerated. And so that was a huge piece. Um, we had a few that talked about toxic home environments. And that's the language that they're, they're using now because they've been taught. We've taught them mm -hmm. how to actually view it objectively. And so they're able to describe their toxic um, situations. Uh, in our school, there are not that many that deal with bullying at our school because mm -hmm. that's really such a no-no in an African-centered school mm -hmm. um, because we really deal with the family unit as us being the family unit. And it's one thing to play, you know, kids play the dozens forever and, and more, right? But uh -huh. not for real, for real. Um, but there are just some topics that they will not touch. No uh -huh. one will touch. And so we're not dealing with bullying in the school situation as such. 
but more what's happening in the household or in the community. Yeah, community, household, I've noticed, you know, working in the community, it's mainly single parent homes. I know for myself, um, I was always bullied because I didn't have my dad around. It was always my mom. So I would just go to my mom and tell my mom what happened. And it was like, I always wanted had to have the dad opinion Mm -hmm. and I I see I wish I could have been there to hear their stories because it's very um it's very how can I put it for myself it's very uplifting because you know that you're not alone and to have those seniors you know speak it out and say it that's something that's very healing you can not only heal in your household, but you can heal in your community of your school. So very great idea. I mean, anybody listening to this podcast, please implement that in your school because that's very important, especially for a senior. They're going out to the, to the real world. So if they're not healing themselves before they get out there, it's very difficult in the real world. I know for myself, I didn't know about therapy until... (laughs) until like college I was like therapy we don't you know we don't do therapy we just pray and it's over we're good hallelujah we're done (laughs) but um to have that tool in your senior year I think that's amazing that your school identifies it and also you're hands-on with that um with the healing in the household and also speaking to your seniors what what advice would you give someone who is a senior or a teen, what advice would you give them if they're having problems speaking to their parents about what they're dealing with? Find that teacher that you trust Mm -hmm. and and, and truly trust them. Um, Give them all of the information because what, what you may see to think is so much larger than it is because while you're in the moment, it seems huge. Um, that trusted teacher will not marginalize you. They will actually help you to clean up your lens a little bit and then help you have the conversation because schools can do so much more, right? At this point, we have, um, we have ways to get you the help that you need that you, that you may not know or that your parent may not know. I really, just like you, did not think of the word therapy period until our pediatrician was like um yeah and and i looked at my husband i was like hello people don't go to therapists and he was like well i'm like well she's going guess what (laughs) so that became one of my carpool days you know this day we're going here Mm -hmm. so trust that teacher trust that adult it doesn't i mean trust that family member whatever whomever it is you know aunties are phenomenal for that mm-hmm. you know if, if it is if it, and even if it's an uncle uh, i grew up in a family that you know there were a lot a lot of us my grandparents had 15 children and you know there were lots of cousins and you know cousins are more like siblings than they are really cousins mm-hmm. and trust them trust trust someone do not hold it in it does not go away and it doesn't melt away with ice cream and all of those things, but find that adult that you trust and have that conversation 
cry if you need to. It's okay. You know, crying sometimes just allows you to pour it out even faster and better. Mm -hmm. And then gives you some level of release. I would say trust that person. If you are a parent, my advice is to listen with both your heart and your head. Because a lot of times we want to hear the logical part. We want to hear that my child is okay. But if that child is saying to you, I'm not okay, who cares what somebody else outside your door thinks about you taking your child to a therapist? Unless they're paying your bills and they're paying it well, <laughs> on time, with no problems and no strings, <laughs> It doesn't matter. Your child is your first responsibility. Who cares what they think? You know, I tell people all the time, what you think of me is not my business. Mm -hmm. It's not. My business is my child. And you get that need, whatever that need is. And, and please do not assume that it is so ridiculously expensive. It is. But there are enough programs around that will help you meet that need. I'm telling you, when Devin, when Puddin was in therapy at one point and my husband had lost his job and I'm sitting there going, how am I paying for this? Mm -hmm. And I told her therapist, he was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. She comes four times a month, we're paying it once a month. And the others I'll cover, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And you know, talk, to them most places actually have a sliding scale mm -hmm. but you just have to actually part your lips let the words come out and ask the question i think we're so afraid and so embarrassed so much that we don't want to ask the question but i'm saying if this is your child ask the question mm -hmm. ask the question she has been incident free Claire and making really awesome decisions for two and a half years. And I still ask her every now and then when I see her looking kind of weird, my first question is, are you safe? Mm -hmm. And they will tell you in therapy, that's code for, do I need to call an ambulance? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Are you going to hurt yourself or someone? All of those things comes up in the one little sentence of, are you safe? Mm. And I have yet to hear her say no in three years. That's, and, that's But she knows I'm going to keep asking the question. I don't care how <laughs> old you get. Like, you can blink the wrong way. I'd be like, whoop, I'm going to see it. <laughs> and that's so, beautiful to all the parents who are listening to all the students. Um, you know, this is Dr. Wood um, healing in the household, and she is sharing her story, sharing her tools, and, you know, what to look out for. And, you know, Dr. Wood, my last question for you is, what can we create for parents to, to learn how to create a safe space in their home, how could they create that safe space? I would say to make sure that when, when, when your baby goes to therapy, like she was four times a month, one of those times need to be you present. Because in that session, they will teach you how to do that, how to, how to ask the correct, how to ask questions, how to ask the correct questions, 
and what to look for in the answers. I think one of the biggest things that I did wrong with Puddin was that I shielded her siblings from what was going on with her, her older and younger sibling. They had no idea, you know, and in their minds, when I left with her on a Wednesday, it was seen as though I preferred her and over them. And so it wasn't until she got to be older that we started to include them in the healing inside the household space. Mm -hmm. And it became about all of us instead of just me and my husband and her. It became her relationships also growing and fortifying her relationships with her siblings. And we learned to do that in therapy with her. You know, how to make sure that they were also seen and heard in the process. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, make sure that you go to one of those sessions. And there are sessions for parents of children who have, um, who suffer from depression and anxieties and things like that. You will find and form your own little cohort of parents so that you all can depend on each other. You know, they're going to see some things that you may not understand and they would have already gone through it. And so they'll be able to tell you how to work on that. There would be times where you're all going to be so tired. You know, who's staying up when, when we're in a bad situation and you're staying up at night and watching your child sleep to make sure that they don't hurt themselves. And you'll be able to trade out with another parent so that you can actually get some sleep or they'll take a turn in driving your child to school or wherever so that you can rest. Form your own little cohort so that you can actually have your own little support network. Beautiful. Dr. Wood, thank you so much for your, your wisdom, your, I just love the healing in the household because there's so many households now who wish they had the resources. And when you said, just do the research, go to WebMD, WebMD go to Google, do the yep. research first. And um, do you have, how can um, our, our audience, if they wanted to ask questions, would, can they email you or? Absolutely. How can Absolutely. they get a hold of you? A chat for you? Yes, you can go ahead and say it too. Sure, absolutely. So I am H.N. Wood, Pius and Natalie Wood, um, one, two, three, nice and easy, at gmail.com. That is not my personal, but not my professional either. That's the one I do everything else outside of home life and work life. Um, you absolutely can email me there. Um, I'm happy to share resources. I'm happy to share, especially in different communities, how to find it in your community. I'm happy to do all of those things for you. So once again, is hnwood123 at gmail.com. This is Dr. Wood. Our topic today on Fix Your Crown podcast, the Nerdville Inks podcast, is healing in the household with Dr. Wood and Dr. Tristica. Everyone have a good night. <laughs>